Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's most dangerous Tottenham Hotspur podcast. It is Wheeler Dealer Radio, and I am considerably more upbeat than any Spurs fan should be right now. But before I get started, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify, because frankly, something good should happen to a Spurs fan these days. This week, we are here to pick through the wreckage of the Newcastle results, sift through the ruins of Stellini's tenure, and uh, I don't have a good fourth uh, wreckage metaphor here. So talk about serial loser and traitor Mauricio Pochettino. And finally, we're going to peer into the future and see if it's as bleak as it feels for Spurs right now. Uh, And, you know, on top of all that, because we're Tottenham fans and we are known for our poor decision making, we're going to answer some of our listeners' questions. Fortunately, we have a full house to talk about this disaster. So joining me from the slopes of South Florida, he is probably looking for something a little bit harder than Black Diamond courses. It is Brian Ashlock. Hey. I don't get a cool question this time. I just have to be like, hey, guys. Hey, guys. Everything's awful. Let's talk about Tottenham okay. again. I, I, got, I got a good question for you. Which is worse, the Newcastle result or uh, Ryan Mason being given control of the team today? For you personally. Uh, for me, per- I feel like I was asking for Ryan Mason to be put in charge last week. So I it would be disingenuous of me to say that. So I guess the Newcastle result. And coming to us from the streets of Hotlanta, he started out starving. Now they got him out there, Brett Farvin. It's Ben Daniels. Ben, how how uh, how's the marriage going these days? Is she is she is she uh, leaning off of you, or is she uh, taking advantage of this hopefully once in a lifetime opportunity? I mean, they've got enough trouble to worry about. You know, their own house isn't in order. They almost blew it. I mean, they did blow it. They did blow it. Yes. <laughs> Uh, you know, and are possibly in the midst of throwing away their one chance at a title in 20 years. So, yeah, shouldn't be throwing stones in those glass houses. So so are just neither of you talking about soccer right now? There's just so many other things in this world that can bring us joy. <laughs> well, when you're talking about Spurs, that is one million percent true. Uh, I don't know how much we want to talk about it. Uh, that Newcastle game sure was... Awful. I guess my question, Brian, I'll start with you. That felt to me uniquely awful. Like I'm I'm having trouble thinking of another result that was like that bad. Even if you want to go back, and obviously it didn't have consequences as bad as this game seems to have had. That sort of five one to Newcastle when we threw away finishing above Arsenal. Like that even like developed over the course of like 90 minutes and certainly felt more understandable was this is this the worst performance you've ever watched from a team i mean i can't i'm having trouble thinking of anything similar yeah i mean it's definitely 
I mean, it's at least the worst 20 minutes of football that I've seen in a long time. I mean, five goals in the first, what, 21, 22 minutes. Um, and not, I mean, the the third one aside, which is the one that they scored from distance, like all pretty easy goals. Like we weren't getting near anybody. We weren't putting in tackles like... It was just so bad. Like, and I understand we changed system, we changed tactics to play for at the back. And like, I don't know, maybe a week wasn't enough time to get them to figure this out. But like, it just looked like we had no fucking idea what we were doing. And and not only that, that they didn't really, the, the players on the field didn't seem particularly inclined to figure it out. I, and I think that's the frustrating pers- uh, thing for for me from a fan's perspective is just like, they just didn't seem to be any fight in anyone on the field. And we just kind of like slumped, you know, to the finish line, like God, how quickly can this game end? And even though, you know, we played the rest of the way, you know, one, one and, you know, uh, I, it, it just still was, was a totally, abysmal performance from literally everyone. Yeah, that's not good. I think like the closest comparisons are probably like the end of AVB's tenure, like that 5-0 to Liverpool. But even that, like you said, it wasn't like a 20-minute blitz like like this. This was this took shambolic to new levels. Um yeah, I mean it felt like it didn't feel like they had trained even for a week at this. Nobody seemed to have any concept of like how to play in a back four. There were, you know, Romero was like lined up like a right side center back. Dyer was lined up in the middle and there was nobody on the whole left side of the pitch. Poro and Parasic had no idea how to defend in a back four. The three man midfield didn't seem to know what their roles and relationships were supposed to be. It was just disastrous. Um, I can't really, like, analyze any details. I'll be honest, like, after, like, the second goal, the whole thing just sort of washed over me. Uh, You know, uh, I think it was, like, three nil down inside ten minutes. It was just, like, well, I don't blame the players for not fighting at that point because it's, like, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what you do after those ten minutes, but. The other thing is, is, like, I mean, even if we had the desire or the ability to analyze what took place over those 21 minutes, like, I just don't even know that we can assign blame to any one particular player for the way that all worked out. Like everybody just kind of looked like shit. Like, you know, people were talking like, you know, about Saar and he's the one that gets hauled off um, for Davinson. But he's no more at fault for anything that took place in those 21 minutes than everybody else that was on the field. Like he just happened to be the odd man out in that midfield that had played the last eight or nine matches together and he so he's the one that gets yanked yeah it was a real group effort credit to the team for really pulling together like the the players i'm i'm maddest at are the supposed i mean we've seen a lot this today i guess about a players committee like i'm more frustrated at the veteran like sars a 20 year old kid or whatever he is who has not been playing regularly all year you know like i'm mad at these like veterans who you know i mean we'll get to this sort of strategy and set up in a minute but like you know, if I'm mad at someone for not showing fight or if there's someone I'm madder at than some, than anyone else out there, it's these guys who 
have years of experience under their belt and just like, you know, I don't care if you're like a little shot physically or whatever, like you should still be putting in more of a shift than this. And it's just, you know, and it's not fair to a guy like Sar or a guy like Poro, Pedro Poro, who's, you know, not a spring chicken, but he still just got here, you know, for, I mean, these guys just get hung out to dry when, you know, like how long's Hoybier been here? He's, I mean, half of what makes is supposed to make him a valuable player is his leadership. And where the fuck was that today? I mean, I don't mean to just pick on him because, like you said, Brian, you could pick on everyone. You can definitely but, pick on I'm, him, though. If I'm mad at anybody, I'm mad at Hugo Lloris, our supposed captain, who didn't even bother showing back up for the second half. And there's a lot of rumors about did he actually get injured? Did he injure himself throwing a punch at somebody? Or did he just say he's not fucking going back out there? None of which is a good excuse for the performance he put in that first half, which was one of the worst goalkeepers. Finally, you can't argue with Frazier Forrester has been an upgrade. Yeah, I, honestly, like I have to swallow my words on that one because holy shit, Hugo. Um, yeah, I, the star thing pisses me off so much because we have managed his time here so badly. You know, we saw him put in like a man of the match performance against Milan and then never saw him again, despite having plenty of opportunity and plenty of need to see him. Um, you know, he gets one one short cameo and gives away a really unfortunate penalty and gets banished to the abyss again. And then again, finally gets a belated start and is the sacrificial lamb for Stellini's tactics being completely wrong. And I'm just like, he's a young kid who like needs to be handled with some level of care and some level of concern for his, you know, playing development, mental development, whatever. And like, we have just done an absolute number on that kid. And I really hope that this isn't like a problem for him or, and for his time at Spurs in the future. I think, you know, looking at this game, I think, and, and obviously with the benefit of hindsight and what transpired in those first 20 minutes and then what, what took place the rest of the match, like it's just really a dumb match to change system in. Like you have a Newcastle team that is in fourth place, that is very organized, that is very defensively strong, um, that has a really, really good midfield and you like, well, let's mix it up. Like, you had opportunities to mix it up against Bournemouth and Everton and some of these other games. And and we stuck with doing the same thing we've been doing. Like, I, I don't know if going to a back four and playing 4-3-3 is, uh, you know, coming into the three toughest games we have was the best decision. And I know that, you know, Everybody on the internet was talking about it. We probably talked about it on our show and said we should do it. But, like, I, I, mean, I don't know. There has this, to be. This gets to to, but this, this gets to what the problem is. Because at the end of the day, you know, I think we have smart things to say about Spurs. I think sometimes we actually make a good point. But we're sometimes. fucking guys sitting on our couch watching this every week. Like, us just saying, like, oh, we should try something different. We should mix it up. Like, Stellini is a manager. I know he's never been like a head coach above Sarah C. I don't anyway. Uh, he's never been a head coach above there before, but like he has been like Conte's right hand man at like several high profile jobs. That is a guy who's a coach who be, should be if he feels compelled to mix it up. Fine. But after a day or two of training, he should be savvy enough to look at this and go, mm -mm, this isn't happening this week. I thought one of the reasons that it made some level of sense to keep Stellini around when we got rid of Conte was like, 
you're not going to reinvent the wheel at this point in the season, like doing some version of what Conte is drilled into them for the rest of the year, but maybe without like Conte depressing the shit out of everyone is like, you know, we could just get through the rest of the season like that and rejigger things in the summer. You know, to me, it's just such an inexcusable failure of coaching. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, the players did not acquit themselves well, but like, the managerial stuff has to look at how they're setting this up and just understand like we can't do this. Like I, I mean, yes, I w- we would like to play differently, but it's too late in the season. These guys are too wherever they are, and if it's not working, you can't do it. Like you just can't put a team out there that does that. I mean, I think I don't want to say in Stellini's defense because he's obviously at fault for this, but like after the Davinson debacle last week, where we did switch to a back four and did get better, it was reasonable to say maybe this is going to work. And the fact that Davinson experienced that performance and that fan reaction made it pretty untenable to put him back in the starting lineup this week. And Stalini obviously exists. Yeah. I I know. I'm not saying it's better, but you put, but like, and and Stalini owns a lot of the blame for why Davinson's situation at Spurs was so untenable to start this game. But after getting like booed the way he did, I I wouldn't throw Davinson Sanchez back in the starting lineup after that. Like, that's not a good environment for him. You and yet know? he still so played like, 70 minutes. I know. And honestly, that was like the best thing Stalini did was like kind of rehab Davinson's existence a little bit by letting him come on and, you know, letting him play decently well um, and not be responsible for the catastrophe at the beginning of the game. But like, I don't think it was indefensible to play a back four given the circumstances surrounding everything that happened with him. I don't think it's indefensible. What I think is indefensible, and maybe I'm wrong about this. Like I just said, I'm a guy who sits on a couch. I've never coached soccer at any level. Uh, you know, I have told my son to run in a straight line at his soccer class um, on Saturdays, and that's about it. But I cannot believe Stellini's not watching practice on Wednesday or Thursday, and it just wasn't, like, apparent this isn't going to work. We can't do this. Like, this isn't – like because you can see it on the pitch. And, like, to, I, I understand things, like, spiral very quickly – but like you could just see it instantly. Like this, it's not just oh we could be better. It's like this is a disaster, and you can't tell me that wasn't apparent in training. Like I, I refuse to believe that wasn't obvious on some level. Maybe they just all had the worst, you know, day of their lives, and Newcastle just you know hit us in a way that made it so much worse than it could have been. But I don't know. I, I refuse to believe this wasn't evident over the course of the week. I mean, the problem is when we were in training, they were playing against Spurs players. So the defense looked perfectly sound. They didn't anticipate what a functional organized attack might do. So earlier today, we're recording this on Monday, just for clarity. Um, Stolini was fired by Spurs. Uh, before we get into his tenure, let's just start with the obvious question. Ben, was this the right move? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I feel like he had to go. It was Totally untenable. I mean, he shouldn't have been given the reins in the first place. If you're going to ask him to do anything other than what you said, just implement Conte's system without the toxicity. But like, he did not even seem equipped to do that. So, well, but I, I, we talked about, again, we're not at the football club. We don't, we're not privy to what they know, but like, I think as fans, we did not think this was as bad an idea as it clearly was when it happened, given what happened in February and January. Right. And I mean, this is why you need that constitutional monarchy where the 
head of state and the head of government are different people. So Conte can be the lightning rod for the blame and Selena can get on with the business of, of government. Um, suddenly, without that figurehead, Selena's... Or without know, that guy on the phone yelling at him while he, <laughs> from Italy. <laughs> right, telling him what to do exactly. And then Stellini just not being melodramatic and suicidal in front of the players. Um, yeah, I mean, at this point, like, how do you keep your job after that? Like, what's the point? Yeah, I mean, that, that stretch in January or February where Stellini was in charge was... I think if you look at the the scope of our season, like that's the worst thing to have happened to us. Like, because that gave us the reason to hope that, oh, hey, he can do this. And then, you know, if you don't, if you eliminate that hope and you're, you're left with the option of Ryan Mason for 10 games, maybe your decision making is different. You know, maybe you hire Pochettino right then and there. Maybe you... Uh, take a harder run at some of these other managers that were free and available at the time. Like is some some reporters have said what a bad I think Kilpatrick, but if I if it wasn't him, forgive me. Was like it was a baffling decision to pick him over Mason at the time. Was it? No, because you'd already picked him to. He, he was the assistant head coach. You'd already picked him to be in charge while Conte was sick. So like, if he says he's staying, then I guess it's fine like like i ryan mason is not a more experienced coach or what i believe to be a better manager based on anything we've seen from him all we know is that he also had an interim you know stint in charge and he was okay where he just was playing his buddies and the vibes were better like we still lost a cup final like i don't know I mean, he technically had overseen more top flight matches than Stellini had when we gave Stellini the job. So maybe he was more experienced. Yeah. No, uh, I mean, I think it's really a thing of like, I'm not in the dressing room kind of situation. It, there's a reason to think the Stellini kind of half measure could work. And there's a lot of reasons to think Ryan Mason is not good or ready for this job that says, yeah, this was a reasonable decision. But, you know, if you are around the dressing room and, see the way players are with, you know, the Conte regime wanting just a fresh start right then and there is not, not a bad decision either. Like if we had just given it to Mason, no one would have like been like, why didn't we keep Stellini? Like that, I don't yeah. think that would have been like a real conversation. So, you know, benefit of hindsight, clearly we should have just done that. But I, I, I see the thinking, even though it turned out to be spectacularly wrong. And you can even like, you go back to the, the Brighton game, I think we sort of laughed about it at the time, but I think you can see that's where I think you can really see Alan Footy was. Because, like, tactical decisions are what they are, and sometimes you make a bet. I mean, Newcastle game is beyond that, but, you know, you make a decision, it doesn't work. But the way he just looked like a deer in headlights when everything was blowing up on the sidelines, like, I think that probably, you know, told you a little bit more about what was going on than we realized at the time. Um, I don't know. What do you... Do you Ben, do you have any expectations for the Ryan, the second Ryan Mason era at Spurs? <laughs> no, no, I have no expectations. I have no hope for. Do you think it's going to be this bad again? Maybe this, this bad. Like, do you think that's possible? Because I, I would not have expected this before it happened. Like, I mean, I don't know what he's going to do against Man U on Thursday. Like, yeah, it could be this bad. Yeah. I hope. Why would anything ever be good again? You know. 
like, I mean, we, we have a whole realm of possibilities. And I think the possibility that it's as bad as this was another time this season as we run into, what, Man U and then Liverpool. Like, yeah, there's a lot of opportunity for it to be this bad again. It might not be. Yeah, I think it's easy to forget that, like, when Mason came in the first time, like, he had a cup final, which had consequences and was big. But rest of the season, it was, like, very outside chance of Champions League if, like, everything broke our way. But it was really, the rest of the season was kind of, like, you could write it off. And it was only, like, I think it was, like, five or six games or something like that. It, it, it wasn't this many. I just want this to be over. Like, there is a level, and we're going to talk about this, the toxicity the depression, there's just a level where it's like, it's not fun being a Spurs fan right now. And I think there's a lot of reasons. And again, we'll talk about this more in a minute to doubt the front office and worry about what's coming next and all this other stuff. But Jesus Christ, like unless we hire another Nuno, which I don't think is possible, but who the hell knows? Like at least like in two months, we're going to have something we can dream on a little bit, even if we're selling Kane or whatever, like, you know, you got slot in, you know, you get Nogglesman in, you know, you get Jesse Marsh in, um, you know, there's something to like, oh, what's the future going to look like under this coach? And you can just start thinking about what's next and how that might be functional. Right now, it's just like, you know, we're in the middle of a divorce and this is going to go on for another, you know, month and a half or whatever the hell it is going to be. And it's just, it's, it's excruciating. It's not what anyone wants. Yeah, we're firmly in the not be able to dream phase. Like we're, we're we're the people are posting like squad lists and being like, "Well, I'm, I'm going to sell 24 of the 26 players this summer." And you're like, "Oh yeah, are you?" Um, <laughs> you know, so it's just like, uh, you know that that's the phase we're in. Like everybody out, fold the football club. You know, whatever. Like it's not enjoyable. Um, and I think. Like you said, kind of the only thing that rescues this is hiring a manager, like a real manager. And yeah, what's really depressing about it is I thought we were going to do that clean break two years ago. Like, okay, things haven't gone well since the Champions League final and Poach left, but now we have a chance to reset. We didn't. Um, So hopefully that happens this time because Kane's older and so is Son and we got to make some hard decisions. And, you know, clearly some guys are getting cleaned out and restructured, but in the meantime, it's just good that there's nothing else happening in world football that makes us feel worse about ourselves than we already do. Right, Ben? That's right, Greg. Thanks for asking. Let's talk about Chelsea's new manager. Uh, it hasn't officially happened as of this recording, but it sure seems like it's about to. Uh, Mauricio Pochettino, uh, noted serial loser. And, uh, you know, also got a man who's carried water for a regime that kills journalists uh, is going to Chelsea. Um, ben, how do you feel about this? I mean, not good. I think in the, on the spectrum of fan feelings, I feel like I am in the minority of not wishing death upon him and his entire family. Um but I'm not, like, happy that this is happening. Like, I would rather Pochettino, you know, never work anywhere near another club I have to watch on a weekly basis again. Certainly not a club that is one of our many fiercest rivals that we seem to collect. Um, you know, but I'm also pretty whatever about the fact that, like, yeah, there's a dozen big clubs in the world only so many of them have jobs available. 
we fired the guy. We have refused to hire him at every possible opportunity. Allegedly, we haven't even reached out and had a fucking conversation with him for this managerial vacancy. So, like, what what more do we want from him to, like, show us a kind of undying loyalty that we have never shown him? Like, I just, I'm, I'm cynical, but, like, I'm realistic enough to say I don't blame him. Like, I am sad, and especially if he does well at Chelsea, I'll be very sad. But, like, I don't think I hate him because of it. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very much with Ben on this. Like, I, it, and I, I don't know, maybe it's not romantic or, or whatever, but it's just like, like Ben said, how, how many good coaching jobs are there? And if by taking a good coaching job, are you then automatically precluding yourself from taking, you know, six of the other 12 that are of it? Like, it's just not how it works. Um, like, I don't like Chelsea. I, I really hate them. And, but Pochettino, I like Pochettino and like, he's got to manage somewhere. Like what's the, he's not going to come manage into Miami. Um, and apparently he can't manage first. Give it so. a year. Give it, give it a year for inter Miami. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Phil. God Neville, willing. We'll, I mean, please let him bottom out completely at Chelsea. I'm happy to root for that. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not going to be wishing him like lots of success there, but I also wasn't really wishing him lots of success at PSG either. So I don't know. It's just like, like Ben said, we fired him and now we're being super precious over, oh my God, he, he, you know, is going to manage one of our rivals. And, and, you know, he understands that rivalry because some of his most tense games came against Chelsea. And it's like, yeah. And like, I, I don't know. Like, he doesn't owe us anything. Half of our listeners at least have turned the podcast okay, off at so, this point. So, yeah. Greg, pay for his blood. <laughs> yeah. So, here's the thing. And I was someone who was a little, like, I was a little more done with Pochettino when he left Spurs than most Spurs fans were. Because I think Pochettino contributed more to his own downfall at Spurs, at Spurs when he left than most people admit. But... Those are some great memories, and I gotta say, my first reaction when I read this was "fuck him." Like, I, I was pretty pissed about it. Like, I think I am friends with a lot of sports fans who look at the game, who try to look at the game very rationally. And the way you guys were talking about this, like, well, what do you expect? We fired him. We we are not contacting him now. When I think clearly we probably could have hired him this this spring, or had a good chance of hiring him if we'd really, you know, put the full court press on. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, Brian, what you were saying, I know you were diminishing a little bit, but, like, Chelsea are one of our nastiest rivals. Those were, like, those weren't just, like, tense games. Those were ugly games. He had some nasty, nasty games against Chelsea when he was here. They beat us for the fucking title. One reason Mauricio Pochino doesn't have any goddamn trophies is because Chelsea kept beating us in games that cost us opportunities to win the title. And the fact of the matter is, like, I think there's maybe two teams that I would take personally if a guy who is like a club legend at Spurs would go to, and it's Arsenal, which is worse than this. I want to be very clear about that. And Chelsea, like I think especially in recent memory, this is worse. And I think I am, I think it is totally rational of Spurs fans to be fans about this. I think it is totally rational to like, I don't care that Spurs chose not to hire him and he's probably justified in feeling a little hard done by. It's fucking Chelsea. Don't go there. You talk all this shit about how much you love Spurs and their family and all this other crap. And I know we have not necessarily, you know, the, the organization has shown him the love the same way. 
but I don't care. It's fucking Chelsea. Don't go to fucking Chelsea. They're an odious club in the first place. They're a huge rival. They were the villains of his tenure at Spurs. Don't fucking go there if you don't want, like, Spurs fans to be pissed at you. Like, I mean, I'm sorry. Like, but I'm he bad is, about it. He is increasing his chances of becoming the next Spurs manager by going to Chelsea. Yes, yes. So, I, I mean, that, I think that's the thing is, like, do you think I, it, I it works one way? Like we can hire ex Chelsea managers, but well, they can't hire an ex Spurs manager. I like, think it's a little different. On. I think it's different. Like with someone like AVB or Conte, not club legends. Mourinho is like you know, in a lot of ways, he's their Pochettino. He's the Chelsea manager. He is the guy I would say is most associated with the new iteration at Chelsea. But I would also argue the bloom had come off of that rose by the time that uh, he you, came to Spurs. You would say the bloom has come up Pochettino's yeah, I would say, years ago. I but now you're the that. one who's mad about it. I would say that, but Matt Law would not. I don't think that is but the popular perception. There's certainly not the perception among Spurs fans. I think it sucks. I think it's awful. And one thing I'm curious from you guys, because you're, you're taking this a little less personally than I am, or a little less aggravated by it than I am. Let's say Mauricio Pochettino's tenure at Chelsea is... Something short of he becomes a Chelsea legend and something better than he gets fired before the end of next season. If he comes back to us in two, three, four, five years, is it going to, is the lust, is, is it not going to feel the same to you? I don't right. want him to come back in two, three, four, five years. Like, I just, let me be clear about that. Like, I don't want that to happen. And I think part of the reason I'm not as mad about this as a lot of people is, I think we need to put the Pochettino era behind us in order to move forward as a club. I talked a lot about this last week, and this feels like the kind of thing that is going to do that. Um, you know, he'll be dead to enough fans that, like, there will no longer be cheering for him in the stands, undermining managers and whatever. You think you know? that's true? And, like, I will say, like, I don't think it's irrational to be furious about Pochettino and to decide he, he's dead to you. I get that, and I fully support that behavior. Like, fine. If that's how you feel, I'm not saying that that's wrong in any way. And I fully reserve the right to start feeling that way, depending on how he succeeds and conducts himself at Chelsea. Because if he starts giving these fucking press conferences, talking shit about us, like, yeah, I'm going to, that's it. I'll put the knife in his back myself. I don't care. But for just taking a job that is available after we have spurned him is like, it's, I, I have seen players leave us. I have seen, you know, an, enough turnover and enough lack of loyalty in the game that I'm just not going to be I think devastated it's just, when someone doesn't show our club the loyalty that we haven't shown so many of my favorites over the years. You know? I think and it's I, another example of it just being, it's another, it, it's like, you know, like that level just keeps ratcheting up of like, oh, well, what level does loyalty not matter at? And to me, it just feels like an ex escalation. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, but like, what do you, I know we don't like love the Chelsea managers that we have hired, but like we've done it three times in the last decade. Like this is not like going to Arsenal, which is like a real uncrossable divide that does not happen. And when it does, it's ugly. Like you were ABB's biggest fan when we hired him, you know, and then you obviously soured on him because that's what you do to managers. Uh, but like you were fine with that. Because he wasn't a Chelsea legend. Like, I think there's the difference. And you, you could also talk yourself into AVB, which I am sure Chelsea fans are going to do this with, with Pochettino, 
which is like, oh, well, he didn't succeed there because Chelsea's a rat's nest and like, you know, they didn't give him an opportunity and blah, blah, blah. And Chelsea fans are going to be saying the same fucking thing about, well, Pochettino wasn't backed. And if he had money behind him, imagine what Spurs could have accomplished and da, 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 da. Right. To me, it's their just, guy and lets you get one over on them. So it's yeah. Good. But to me, what, what it comes down to is he's going to be walking up and down the sidelines, maybe smirking, maybe not as Chelsea fans do this. We hate Tottenham chant. You know, as they're probably beating us because regardless of how good Pochettino is, we're probably going to be awful next year. And it's just going to like it's really going to stick in my fucking crawl in a way that like few things will, I think. And it, I think it's also worse because up until the day it was leaked, I just don't think I conceived of this as a po- like, oh, he'll go to United one day or he'll go to like, you know, I don't know, Bayern Munich or Dortmund or whatever. Real it just didn't. It, it didn't occur to me that, yeah, oh, he's going to Chelsea. Like, Yeah, stupid. Um, I don't know, man. I If he's walking up and down the sideline looking like a Cheesecake Factory waiter, then good for him while Chelsea are Cheesecake great. Factory customer, probably. I mean, yeah, also that. Uh, I don't know. It's it's fine. It's We have our own problems. We have too many of our own problems to worry about managers that we aren't even interested in hiring and have previously fired. Like, I'm like, Ben, like, I get it. If if that's how people want to feel and if you want to post about how he's dead to you and whatever on Twitter, like, go for it, man. But like, he's just another guy. And and if you're upset about how all your memories are now tarnished, you're the one doing that. You, You can still remember the good times. And they can still be good times. Like, that's the way memories work. Greg has never had an ex he has stayed from. No. Guaranteed no, <laughs> no, I have not. Uh, no, bitterness is how I sever the emotional cords that, that harm me. <laughs> Looking for, I know, like you said, Brian, we have enough problems on our own without worrying about someone else. But I am curious for the sake of this discussion. Uh, and Brian, we'll start with you. How do you feel... Pochettino is going to do at Chelsea. Uh, it's a it's a weird job for any manager. You've got a, a squad that's kind of weirdly unbalanced, uh, that doesn't really work. You've got a midfield that uh, is overly reliant, or well, uh, is is theoretically set up to be overly reliant on an aging and oft injured uh, N'Golo Kante. You have no striker to speak of. Um, and you've got too many dudes and maybe you're facing some fake FFP sanctions. Like I, I don't, I don't know what you do with that job. And especially cause I'm, it's also unclear as how much money they have to spend. Like, you know, whoever the manager is, whether it's Pochettino or anyone, like, are they going to be able to buy a striker? Like, is it contingent upon them being able to sell and get real money for guys like, Sterling and Lukaku and, you know, whoever else they have, like, I don't know. It, it It's, you know, there's enough talent there that you can, you know, see somebody making a coherent team out of it, but it's by no means an easy job. I think it's the kind of team that if they were younger, if Pochettino was hungrier, you could see see him figuring out a way to like cobble it together but like the level of like shitty galacticos that they've assembled and the age profile of the squad and you know the fitness or lack thereof of conte 
makes it really hard to imagine Pochettino putting together anything like the kind of high-intensity system he played at Spurs. So you're looking at a, a worse version of what he did at PSG, which was not great to begin with. Like, there's a there's a lot of reasons why it might go really badly, like like Brian said. Um, by by all accounts, Nagelsmann has like been like, no thanks, guys. I don't want any part of this. And which is interesting, whether or not he comes to Spurs or something. It's interesting. It was a big enough mess that he was like, no thank you. Right. I'm like, I'm mostly disappointed in Pochettino not looking at that and being like, no thank you. Well, that's the guy who took the PSG job. But we want him to look at us and go like, yeah, give me that. Give me, give me all of your directors football (laughs) in jail. I want that. Yeah, I don't know. I think it'll be fun to finish ahead of Pochettino, Chelsea. That would be the. That's like the one bright side is if it goes poorly, that'll be fun. But I'm not sure it's gonna. That's gonna go poorly enough, and our our side is gonna go well enough. But we'll see. I mean. Chelsea's job is a mess, like we said. Like Brian outlaid laid out all the things that are just really kind of sketchy about that. You saw how little patience they had this year. I mean, it's kind of borderline crazy. They just they just didn't let Potter manage it out to the summer. Um, you know, they spent all that money to bring him in. It's it's. I mean, it's a dangerous position. If I was, I think the worry for Pochettino, you know, obviously he doesn't care what people think about him, but. You know, the worry for him is like, what's this? Like, I feel like his reputation, I feel like he's never been really able to capitalize on what he did at Spurs. Like he got that PSG job, you know, and yeah, like that's a high profile job, but it never felt like he was a great fit there. And even this Chelsea job, it feels like he's getting that because Nagelsmann doesn't want it. You know, Man United passed on him in the summer. It's just, he's never been really able to strike when the iron's hot and you know, I mean, clearly it worked out to some degree that he waited because he got a quote unquote big job. Certainly one's going to pay him a lot of money. But, you know, there's a lot of people bargaining. He just needed to take a job. Like a lot of people were saying he needs to go to Athletic Bilbao because he just needs to work somewhere um, in the off season. And I feel like if the Chelsea job doesn't go well for him, he really is going to have to go like coach Sevilla or something. I mean, the, the Chelsea job is just not set up to go well. For anyone, though, I think is the thing. And, and well, I think worse than usual. Like, it's not like the usual Chelsea job. I no, think. and I understand that. And which is actually, I, I find uh, to be both interesting and very exciting thing about Nagelsmann, where he was actually looking at this job and he was like, no, I, ca- I cannot succeed there. Where you feel like most coaches just wind up somewhere where they'll, they're paid a lot of money and they're, they're told they'll get to spend a lot of money. Like, this was an actual analytical decision from a coach. He might not have been told. He might not. He might have been told no on the second one of those. Those. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing is, is like, you know, I forget that Potter wasn't in charge of Chelsea when the season started. Like Tuchel managed them for like a month and a half, and then, and then uh, Potter comes in, and uh, I don't know. It's. uh, (laughs) I think you're right. I think the lack of patience would make me worried, especially because of the type of manager that Pochettino is, the the sort of cult figure, guy that demands buy-in from everybody. You know, his big storyline, his first season here was taking some of the senior players and, like, weeding them out and, and being able to move them on and get rid of them. Uh, it was something that, you know, he wasn't really able to do that well at PSG and what ultimately led to his downfall. Like, I don't... 
the player power at Chelsea is very high and the pressure from management and the lack of patience from ownership are going to make that job like next to impossible for anybody. Yeah, I think it's like a really kind of under discussed phenomenon of like the kinds of managers that are successful in big club situations and how different that kind of job is compared to, you know, turning a team like Spurs or Southampton into this young and hungry and tactically astute side. You know, so much of managing the big egos at big clubs is really less about tactical proficiency as personality management and dressing room organization. And, you know, you look at Zidane and Ancelotti at Madrid and, they're not really often doing anything that interesting so much as they are getting a group of really talented, big egos to play together effectively and just like kind of letting them cook within boundaries. You know, it's not like they're reinventing football over there. Uh, You know, and he's only had one big job at PSG and like that was kind of okay. But, you know, I think the reality is Pochettino might be better suited to, building a team like Tottenham into a title contender than taking on one of these behemoth clubs and like steering the ship. And that, like you said, he may be great at Sevilla. Like if you look at like Unai Emery, I think is a great example of a guy like that who has shown not quite suited to the arsenals and PSGs of the world, but like, boy, throw him at Villarreal or Aston Villa and all of a sudden he's cooking you know, it's just they're different kinds of jobs in what you're doing as a manager. Um, so I don't know. I think there's a lot of reasons that that's not a good fit. And the the thing that makes Chelsea different, you talked about Ancelotti and Zidane and two of the things they had going for them. That, those were teams full of vets. Like those were there were not many. There was like a couple young guys on those teams um, or even right now. I mean, a little more so on Real Madrid now, but. You know, you're talking, it's almost like if you had this team that Pochino's getting, but before they just got bought, but if these players hadn't been bought for like $125 million or $100 million or whatever, you know, I think I might have more faith in Pochino's ability to sort of wring something out of them. But like Brian was saying, like now Enzo is worth like, you know, he's a $125 million pound player or whatever it is. And, you know, I think we've seen how that's affected the perception of Joao Felix over the course of his career that certainly gives him a lot more say. Like it's going to be a lot harder for him to banish Enzo and Murdoch and all these other guys like to the, to the wastelands because they, you know, how much money is that? Like maybe they'll let him throw a 60 million pound player off to the side, but you know, like Enzo, like no, you better figure Enzo out, buddy. Like if he's not, if he doesn't, I mean, I don't think that's going to be what costs, Pochino's job, but for instance, these are some players they all need to develop, and they're Argentine brethren. Enzo's not the problem. <laughs> but my my point is like they have all this player power, and who knows how hungry they are because like they've all gotten their big paydays. I think it's a really weird situation. Maybe he'll handle it well. I'm not sure. Like like PSG is not the most representative club in the world to sort of judge someone off of, but it's a weird situation, and I hope he fails. I hope he fails hard. Yeah, I mean. Catastrophic is really the word I'm looking for here. Like I, yeah, I, I, I want him fired by Christmas, which is probably asking too much. But, you know, I believe in you, Mauricio. Yeah, I mean, I, I love Pochettino and I don't hate him for taking this job. But if it turns out that his managerial prospects of the future are in complete tatters because it's such an overwhelming humiliation, I'm OK with that. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Uh, let's talk about other uh, upcoming humiliations, namely the future of Tottenham Hotspur. I think things are pretty grim right now. Uh, Spurs fans are angry. They're angry at the club. I saw if I if I had a dollar for every like, well, I wasn't Enoch out, but now I think I am tweet that I saw today. I would not have to go back to my job. How as you look forward, let's say the medium term for the short and medium term for Spurs going into next season, let's not, you know, surely there are more humiliations waiting for us as this year draws to a close. But Brian, like, how are you feeling about like how this could go because we don't have a, D- a director of football right now. We don't have a manager for next season. Depending on how you look at it, that is a staggering indictment of the club and or a massive opportunity for the club. How are you feeling just like sort of looking at how things are arrayed right now? Uh, I mean, pretty bad. I guess just because my confidence that we will make the right decisions and implement the right processes over the over the summer to get kind of where everybody as fans wants things to be is basically nil. Uh, Now, I think that the way things are setting up right now, we might somehow luck our way into the best manager on the market. Um, And that doesn't mean that our process was any good, Um, but uh, we may just be fortunate that uh, Nagelsmann ends up managing Spurs. Um, I, I I think the main concern that is that we still don't really have a structure in place in terms of the front office. Um, you know, the, the foot dragging on the Paratici thing when he was, you know, facing suspension and then had the ban extended worldwide and we still just kind of did nothing. And it doesn't seem like there's a plan is, um, concerning. Um, and you know, if the plan is wait until this guy from city football group gets done with gardening leave in June, I don't like that either because now we're waiting a month and a half to start doing things when we could have just been doing them now. So I don't know. I think medium term, medium term, like everything will be fine eventually, like whatever. But like for the short term, like we're just going to it's going to suck for a while. I'm stupid. I I don't know. I'm like not optimistic. That would be an insane thing to say. But part of me just sort of feels like we have been persisting with, you know, this backwards looking, get Kane to work, get a big guy in here and just squeeze the last drops out of everything. You know, Pochettino going to Chelsea, Paratici going to jail or whatever. Like, it just feels like we have bottomed out in a way that there's no choice but to do something new and different. And yeah, that new and different might look like Stellini's back four and it could be disastrous, but it's at least just kind of essential in a way that Daniel Levy appears to recognize that something different has to happen. You know, there's whispers that Harry Kane is not coming back this uh, after this summer, you know, like, we can't just keep doubling down on the things that have worked in the past and hope that it turns out for the better. Um, and so, you know, the world of possibility can go many ways, but the fact that we have possibilities feels feels different. 
like feels like there's a real opportunity to build something. And until we squander that by hiring someone incredibly stupid and ill-suited to the job, I do just kind of look at that world of possibilities and say, okay, there's something that we can do here. Like, yeah, there's a lot of squad turnover that needs to happen. There's a lot of hires we have to get right, but like, that's the job. And I, I can see how it's doable. Like there's, you know, half a dozen guys here and then you build a team around and you'd like more than that, but you know, there's, there's something that we can work with. I think that's a good point, Ben. And I think if there's cause for optimism right now, it's just a clear runway. I mean, there's a lot of work to do at this club to be good in the medium, short, medium, or long term. But the fact of the matter is we could hire a director of football right now. Obviously, it would be better to have a good one in place right now. But, like, things haven't been working. There was a guy who, I don't know, like, a lot of us didn't like, but he'd been involved in this this sort of, I don't know, like you were saying, this hamster wheel that we've been on since, you know, like 2019, where we're just going and going and, you know, we're trying to make sure we get the most out of Kane. We're trying to sort of make sure we don't squander the success we had being in the Champions League final. And I think you're right. It feels like one way or another that's coming to an end. Like that's that's something new is going to start next year. It feels like maybe I'm wrong, but it feels like whether that's moving on from Kane or just taking a whole new approach at things. I feel like something different is about to happen. And, you know, on the one hand, I think it's really encouraging that like, at least as of today, again, we're recording on Monday, like there was some leaks coming out that like Nogglesman wants ironclad assurances about like transfer budgets and players that we'll get. And I don't know what that means, but I'll tell you, it's not a no, um, you know, considering the disaster we had this weekend which doesn't mean we won't put them off by the end of the season, but I think it's interesting that that's happening. I think it's worth remembering um, two things. One, you know, whenever Chelsea or United are in a situation like this, and I understand they're punching in a different financial bracket than us, but we always talk about like, oh, well, it's bad, but they have money to fix it. Like some manager is going to look at what they can spend and where they are in the pyramid, and they're going to think to themselves a mixture of, well, I want that, and if I'm the one that fix it, fixes it, imagine how good that'll be. And I think we're going to get a version of that. I don't know if it'll be like Nogglesman, but I think we can get hire a good manager and a good director of football. And it's also worth remembering when Liverpool hired Klopp, I'd totally forgotten this till our friend Michael brought this up to me today. Liverpool were, I don't know about as big a mess as we were, but they were in the doldrums. I mean, Brendan Rodgers was still there, and it looked like that was going nowhere fast. I mean, they got Klopp in there based off, and they had like a better front office set up and all these other things, but that really hadn't manifested yet. You know, there's a lot of potential at Spurs, even with everything that's happened. And I think that's the thing that gives me hope is that like this, someone's going to look at this clear runway and think it's an opportunity. Maybe it won't be Nogglesman. I hope it is, but there's a chance there. And the flip side of this, the thing that I think if there's anything that gives me pause we talk a lot about Dan Levy and what he's done wrong and how who's responsible and blah 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 Enoch out the thing that gives me the most pause about Levy from all the mistakes he's made over the last couple of years is hiring Paratici and it's not that Paratici was necessarily bad at his job I mean that's something we can debate what gives me pause about that is there was an there were charges coming down the pipe on this guy that were clearly more serious than I thought they were. And they must have known that there was a real chance here. And I'm 
a little concerned that he got into bed with someone. Not because I give a shit from a moral perspective, because, you know, I don't really care what Juventus was doing. He's, he wasn't, like, killing people. But that he knew there was a real chance that the guy you have managing your whole football operation could be, you know, would lose his job. Like, what if Paratici was, like, the greatest director of football of all time? And you know you're going to lose him in three years. Like, that's not a good idea, even if he is great at his job. And he was kind of mediocre at his job. But regardless of that, he knew that we were going to lose this guy. And that that is extremely suspect decision-making in a way that generally you can see what Spurs were trying to do. I have no idea what the hell was going on there. And that's what gives me pause moving forward. I mean, we have a long history of making bad decisions with guys that you could see the writing on the wall with and just hoping that we might squeeze enough out of it before the bad thing happened. And then, nope, the bad thing happened sooner than we'd be expected. And, yeah, I, I mean, you're right. It's entirely possible that he's just fundamentally not up to this job and there is no learning with him and he is going to make the same kinds of stupid mistakes and short-term mistaking that has gotten him here in the first place but he has as much of a clear runway as anybody else to do something different and hiring that man city guy is like a good step in showing that he is seizing that runway to do something a little different and maybe build out some of these operations in a way that he hasn't done before. You know, the thing that historically Daniel Levy has done both the good and ill has been very quick to say, this isn't working. Let's do something different. You know, whether that's, okay, we've got Kamali. Okay. Harry Redknapp doesn't need that or doesn't want that. Let's switch to that. You know, we need Franco Baldini. We need Paul Mitchell. We don't need these guys. Like, you know, that sort of, erratic treatment of these people have led to a lack of continuity and an inability to really build something. But the flip side of that is he does seem to recognize if something isn't working correctly, let's try something different. And, you know, like say what you want about Nuno. It was a different kind of hire than Jose Mourinho before he pivoted back to Antonio Conte, you know? So this, this is real wish casting. I know, but like, the opportunity for Daniel Levy to recognize a need to try something different is here. And, you know, like he said, we do have a lot of money. We're financially less constrained than Chelsea is this summer, given what they've, you know, already loaded themselves down with. You know, we have an opportunity to, to build. And, you know, seeing what Klopp did at Liverpool and Arteta did at Arsenal, like, yeah, it took them three, four years to turn a team that was finishing regularly like eighth into a team that could challenge for the title. And I don't think that we have bottomed out nearly the same degree that those clubs have done. And we have some level of, I mean, we haven't. Like, we finished, you know, what's our worst finish under Mourinho? Sixth, right. seventh? Like, I'm just thinking about the Newcastle game. <laughs> you know, yeah. But like we finished fourth last season. You know, we're not, like, so far away that to the same degree that those clubs were. And, like, we do have a decent group of players, whether that's six guys or 10 guys or whatever, like the rebuild is already kind of underway. Even though Paratici didn't do a great job, he did a good enough job that got us guys like Romero and Kulishevsky and Bentoncourt, possibly Udogi and uh, Poro and, you know, some of these other recent signings. Like 
it's possible that some of the groundwork for that next team is already been laid. Um, and it's not going to take us three or four years, but you know, I think the real question is, is are we prepared to let someone take that three or four years to build something with this team and invest in rebuilding this team? And I mean, that's the big question mark. Greg, you're Brianing right now. I know I was muted. Uh, but I think that's part of what Spurs fans are missing right now, which is, something to dream on something to hope on like we kind of had that again for like you know the end of last season and very beginning of this season but it's just you know like god like i don't think it'll be as fun as some people think if like slot comes in here and we're kind of like a sixth or fifth place team but we're playing better football that'll be good i don't think it'll be as fun as people think but at least you can sort of if you get something like that you can see that and see it going somewhere whereas like you know, one of the problems we've had all year is we're just grinding this shit out. And even if it was good, it's not like going anywhere. So I don't know, Brian, we, you haven't talked for a while. What do you think? Yeah, I'm like you. I think the expectations for what comes next have to be lower. And I don't mean what comes next in terms of like the hires and like what we do, because look, like Ben says, it is entirely possible that we don't fuck this up. I think that possibility is much smaller than Ben does, clearly. But, like, uh, you know, it could happen. But even if we do this summer and we implement structures and we get the right manager and we do some squad turnover and we, you know, sign some good guys, like, it's it's still going to be rough like it's still going to be a transition year like i i just i think you know we're all expecting this to be you know a manager comes in saves the day and fixes things like that's kind of what we expected on the last two hires like Mourinho, we like okay well he was in charge for the the back end of that season um and then you know next season's a full season under him and and we'll be it'll, it'll be great and it wasn't and then Conte was the same thing. And and again, it was bad. So, like, you know, whoever this guy is that we hire next, we just have to be prepared for the fact that next season might not be as much fun as we all envision it. Even if the football is better, even if the results are, you know, good enough for fifth or sixth or seventh. Like, it, it it's still going to be like a growing. There's going to be growing pains. It's going to be difficult. Like. I don't, and that's if we do things right. Like, if we just do things the way that we're probably going to do them, next season will suck, too. Greg, I'm grinding again. again. Yeah. Wow. Twice in one episode. Fuck you. <laughs> I think something that would be really interesting, obviously I want to see it as a Spurs fan because I think he'd be the best manager on the market, but I think something that would be really interesting if we got Nogglesman in we kind of saw this under Conte when he first got here, but like when when's the last time you've seen a manager of that level like really commit to a rebuild? Probably Klopp, like when he first got to Liverpool. It's just not something you see very often. And I do think going back to what you said, Ben, going a little bit off what you said, Brian, it's like like if Nogglesman came in here, he would get such a long runway. Like unless he just was like, you know, losing for three months in a row, like he would just get such a I think he gets so much rope from the fans, from the club, from the players, you know, unless he just demonstrated himself to be totally incompetent, which I don't think he is. 
I think that would just be a really fun and interesting thing to watch. And obviously I'm like partial because I like him as a manager, but I, I think we just haven't seen something like that in a while. So, yeah. And I mean, I hope that the fans give him, you know, that amount of rope because he is coming from Bayern Munich. He is a bigger name, you know, he's not just like some guy we're poaching from Southampton in a way that does have a level of expectation around it. And, you know, I just hope that the fans are prepared for the possibility that there will be growing pains and it won't be necessary. It might be really quick success, but like the possibility that it won't be is something that a guy like him should be afforded in a way that, you know, with Conte and Jose, despite their pedigree and whatever, you never suspected they were in for the long haul. And if it wasn't happening, then it wasn't going to happen. And I think this is fundamentally different, despite his recent pedigree. I think there will be an element of that. I don't want to get too carried away because he probably won't take the job. But I think there would be an element of that in that, you know, he's a great manager. Like, if he doesn't have it clicking immediately, you know, I think people are going to be a little, you know, put out or a little impatient. But at the same time, I don't think he's going to play this sort of like hospital ball we were playing at the beginning of the, like the all season under Conte. Like it's probably going to be more fun than that. I think he's going to get a lot of rope just by virtue of like, look at, look at how shitty the last like week has been at Spurs. Imagine how shitty the next couple of weeks are going to be. If he still decides to come here, like we're all going to feel pretty great about that. Or really question his judgment. <laughs> I mean, both, both, both. Por que no dos? Um, yeah, so let's take uh, some questions from our listeners before we wrap it up. We, we've gone on quite a while, longer than I thought we would go after that fucking disaster of a game. Um, yeah, it was a real slow news week. Yeah, well, that too. Uh, so, you know, I want to start with a, uh, you know, a, a real, like, Spurs-related question. This comes from big-time Ryan Mason guy. He wants to know, with allergy season rapidly approaching, what is your go-to drug for combating symptoms? Why are we taking questions from Brian on the podcast? <laughs> Brian doesn't need our advice on what our go-to drugs are. <laughs> yeah. Listen, uh, Sudafed is useful for a number of things. So, um, <laughs> you know, you just have to don't get the good one from behind the counter. I know that they'll take your ID and everything. But, you know, if you have enough friends, you can get enough IDs. And then, I mean, don't worry about what to do why you need all that Sudafed. Just, I'm just saying there's things you could do with it. That's WDR podcast or <laughs> Brian with a Y, Brian underscore Ashley with a Y. <laughs> We've all seen Breaking Bad. It's fine. It's fine. Um, next I think Flonase is pretty good. Flonase and Zyrtec, that's what I would use. But I think your <laughs> suggestion is interesting. You, you think you get downhill quite as fast with those, Ben? <laughs> I mean, you know, that Flonase spray just goes straight to your brain. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, another Ryan Mason. Uh, well, this isn't, I guess the other one was a username. Eric Cromwell wants to know, if Ryan Mason was a breakfast food, what would he be, Brian? Uh, an English muffin, I guess. <laughs> uh, I don't know why. That just what do they like call a... that in England? A biscuit? Like, what, what would they... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. What just a muffin? Is it? Is it just what is an English muffin? muffin? Yeah, it's just a muffin, yeah. Um, yeah, it's an English Listeners, muffin. Listeners, answer that question for us, please. Someone tell me what is an English <laughs> yeah, muffin. What, what Americans call it an English muffin. What do the British call it? Because we're too lazy to Google it. I would oh, say... like a, a nooks and crannies? <laughs> call it an old English. Boy, we having our nooks and crannies this morning. <laughs> having an Oliver Cromwell, are we? 
Um, I think it's Cheerios. You just eat it a lot and you try to go to something more interesting and then eventually that's too unhealthy or you get sick of it or it's too expensive. So you just go back to your Cheerios. You just keep coming back to it despite not really wanting to. I think and it not being a very good breakfast cereal. He's the like stewed tomato on your full English breakfast plate that you've eaten everything else and it's the last thing still sitting there and you're like, well, I guess it's here. <laughs> It'll do a job. I paid 12 pounds for this. I might as well. We have a few. I'm detecting a theme here from uh, Rooftop Heckler. We have What's the Point? From Justin Coletto, we have What is the Meaning of Life? From Ryan, we have Why Won't God Blow Up the Sun? Do My Prayers Mean Nothing to Him? And from Jimmy Chapman, we have You Guys Okay? Also, from Jason Siders, we have Why? I'm detecting a theme among Spurs fans. Yeah, I mean, look, it's either this from the uh um the podcast that earlier today you know look we just have to take on his toughest battles if we're going to prove that we are the strongest soldiers we must take these difficult battles and we must conquer them and so look we're going to come out on the other side in 30 or 40 years and we will have the newest version of whatever Pep Guardiola like substance exists in football. And we will enjoy a sustained period of success because we all collectively sat and suffered through this particularly shitty part. And at this point, all we can do is hope that we are all coherent enough to enjoy uh, our days in the sunshine when they do eventually come. I didn't think evangelical Christianity was going to be the next Florida thing you brought to this podcast. <laughs> hey, man, you know, I, I got a lot of free time. I'm not watching a lot of Spurs games anymore. <laughs> ben, do you have I anything just, to add? I had no idea so many of our listeners were still any diehards, but they're clearly taking this very hard. <laughs> Let's see. Um, what is the largest animal you are confident you could defeat one-on-one? How big's Ryan Mason? <laughs> Not like the size of a ferret. Like how, yeah. how big's a ferret in a coat? Like that 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 big. Yeah. Um so the problem with most animals is they have like claws and teeth and stuff. So you need something that's also like doesn't have any self-preservation instinct. So I don't know. Like Antonio Conte. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, are we armed here? Is this barehanded? No, it's barehanded. Barehanded. You, nothing but what God gave you. I mean, I mean, like one or two ducks, probably. You know, like people take like gators, like that. People wrestle gators. I am not experienced in this, but Brian? Like, I feel like I can learn. I mean, I wouldn't see it's not a, like if you if you don't succeed on that first one, there's not like kind of uh, taking lessons from that. And yeah, you're not true. learning from your mistakes in that field is the problem. Um, yeah, no, I. Yeah, I'm saying conf- it's a winnable fight. I might lose that fight, but I feel like that's the biggest animal that I probably have a shot at. I mean, I think you're overestimating your physical capabilities in this situation. Yeah, oh, wildly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't feel good about it. I'm just saying. 
It's well, not like I, a, people who think they can like take a gorilla or a grizzly bear, like those people are just would be dead if they lived anywhere other than the safety of America. And also, then you have to live with yourself that you've defeated, you know, a beautiful little animal in some way, shape, or form. Like, you know. I mean, if it was a gator, I'd live with myself great. Like, if I defeated a gator, I'd, I'd right. be fucking but awesome. I would just yeah. argue that that's unlikely to happen. So most yeah. of the animals that any of the three of us could defeat, like little baby piglets or, you know, an average size house cat, like, we're not going to feel good about those things. I think both you and Ben would feel pretty great about defeating Ryan Mason. Yeah, but again, he's got a built-in weakness. He's got one spot. You just got and I'm pretty tall, so I'm just right over the top. Yeah, you're gonna go right like, over the top. Your fist is gonna go into his like his metal skull. You're gonna break your hand, and then he's gonna kick you a lot. So it's true. He, he's I very mean, resilient. I surely there are like big dumb herbivore animals out there without a lot of self-defense mechanisms. Yeah, that, but then are you strong enough to defeat it? Like like a cow. Like at a certain know. point you're gonna I, hit you're gonna hit a cow enough that it's gonna kick you. Like as long as I'm not standing behind it, I feel like in a battle of attrition against a cow, like yeah, maybe I'm not gonna lay him out with one punch, but I don't feel like it's gonna do a lot of damage to me on yeah, the other like, side of this. Tip the cow over and you just start beating him. <laughs> yeah, right. You put your shoulder in and heave and uh then you go to town. See what yeah. this is. This is what Pochito going to Chelsea has done to us guys. It's just look. I'm just a friend to all of nature, and so I can't <laughs> condone this sort of violence. Although I do love Eric Lamella, um, so <laughs> he, violence... he doesn't hurt animals, as far as we know. He loves animals. Only yeah, Matt. Long, it's Matt Law. <laughs> Damn it. Anyway. At least we know Matt Law's answer to this question. Dogs. <laughs> What's your answer, Greg? A crab. A crab, that's it? I would enjoy eating it afterwards, so, you know, like, I might as well, like, reward myself. Yeah, but, like, you don't have the crackers, so, like, are you confident that you can... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without yeah. getting pinched? Yeah, I'd step on it till it stops moving, then I'd crack it open and eat that sucker. He's from day. the streets of Baltimore. They fight like crabs true. every day. That's <laughs> true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Well, on that note, I think it's time to wrap it up. Uh, ben, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Comrade Uspers. Brian, where can people find you on the internet if they have, you know, just some pharmaceutical <laughs> questions for you? Yeah. I mean, about, for allergy, that, about allergy season, of for, course. For that, always LinkedIn. Um, you know what to do. Um, just send me an in-mail or whatever the... Yeah. Anyway, um, uh, I'm, I'm open to work. Um, and... Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. Unless you're in law enforcement where you can find him at Reno Wallabout. Um, you can find me on Twitter.com at Skipjack0079. You can find our podcast at, as I said earlier, Wheeler Dealer Radio or WDR Podcast. That's uh, WDR <laughs> as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. Sorry. Uh, it's been a long night. Uh, for Ben, for Brian, I've been your host, Greg. Oh, also for Brett Rainbow. Uh, for all of us, uh, come on, you Spurs. Please hire someone good. <laughs>